Amen. We'll take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 10. Joshua chapter 10. As we continue our study through uh, the book of Joshua, we'll look at Joshua chapter 10 in its entirety this morning. I cannot help but to stand before you this morning with a lot of anticipation and excitement. This is, in fact, a, a big day in the life of our church And I am overwhelmed as I begin to study this text, not having designed these things. My uh, philosophy is, whether it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, whatever, if we're in a book of the Bible, we just keep going. And there are times in which God tells us to stop to address certain issues. But this morning, Joshua 10 is what's next, because last week we were in Joshua 9. And so uh, this morning, we just kind of turn over and go to the next chapter. But I'm really overwhelmed by the fact that God in this moment in the life of our church has brought us to this text because it is the right word for the moment. As you know, about six weeks ago, I stood before you and uh, told you some exciting initiatives, some things that we needed to build, some things that needed to be taken care of and said, we need a million dollars in five weeks. No big campaign, no special secret meetings, uh, no individual asks. We're just gonna pray and trust the Lord. I also committed on that day that I wouldn't know, that I was gonna choose to not know how much money is coming in. And I didn't wanna beg you, I just wanted to pray. And I want us to see what we're capable of doing as we're obedient to the Lord. I thought that was a really good decision until the last few nights when I literally have no idea what's gonna happen today. Uh, But the truth is, this is a moment for us. It's a moment for us. And God gave me four prayers at the beginning of this. The prayers were this. Number one, that we would have broad participation. I just, we're a family. I wanted broad buy-in. I just wanted to know that you were excited, that you were a part, that you would do what you were able to do, number one. Number two, I've been praying that God would show us his ability in this, that we would be surprised what God is able to do through us. The third thing was this. I just prayed that God would help everyone who participates to come to see the truth of Matthew 6, where Jesus makes a promise that those who pray and those who give and those who fast in secret will be rewarded by the Father. I even prayed today that God would continue to reward all of us who have sacrificially given. But the last prayer was this, is that God would turn this moment into a monument. And I'm convinced, absolutely convinced, that this is bigger than just this moment, that there's something God wants to do in this moment to build our faith for the next moment, for the bigger moment. And I'm really preaching a little bit by faith because last night as I was praying over today and this message, what I realized is this. My prayer was, God, what do you want to say to us in this moment? Because moments matter to God. Significant moments in the life of the church matter to God. God, what do you want to say to us? And I was very clear from the Lord that what God wants to teach us in this moment is in this text. The problem is I have to preach this text before I know what the offering was. So I'm preaching by faith believing we're going to have an exciting day at the end here, all right? God, please, I'm continuing to pray. Because <laughs> this is, this is, <laughs> this is, this is a moment for us. Now, let me just tell you something else. I, I believe this is not only a moment for our church. Listen, it's a moment for you. Because when God stirs up something in our church, what he's doing is stirring up in something in us individually. God wants this moment to do something in us. Primarily what he wants it to do is to increase our faith and our confidence in God by reminding us of two specific truths. Number one, God is able. Number two, 
God is for us. There is nothing that God's people cannot do if they believe those two simple truths, God is able and God is for us. And if God's people do not believe those two truths, there's nothing they can do. Everything in our life hinges on our confidence in God's ability and God's promise that he is not against us, that he is for us. And that type of confidence always throughout scripture leads the people of God into working harder, being more aggressive, doing more, praying bigger prayers because they believe that what God said is true. And that is exactly the point of Joshua 10. But Joshua 10 says it this way. In the very beginning and at the end, Joshua 2 simply says this. The Lord fights for you. The Lord fights for you. That is the point of Joshua 10. The Lord, the sovereign God, creator, sustainer of all of the universe is fighting. He is active. He is engaged and he is engaged and active on your behalf. The Lord fights for you. In a thousand ways, many you can see and many you you will never understand. So let's look at that in Joshua 10. The story starts in Joshua 9 when the people of Israel fail to seek the Lord and they make an alliance with the Gibeonites. You remember this from last week. The Gibeonites came and tricked the people of God and essentially said this, we are from a far off country, which they weren't, but we know and we have heard about the people of God. We know you're moving and advancing. And Gibeon, as we will see, was a large nation with many mighty warriors, a large army. They still knew, even though they were larger, that they could not defeat the people of God. So what did they do? They humbled themselves and they asked to be saved. Another reminder that as the people of God are marching through enemy territories and destroying all kinds of nations, the only people that are getting destroyed are those who have failed to respond by faith and humble themselves before the Lord. Everyone gets an opportunity. And so it is, they had an opportunity and they took it. They said, we want to be saved. And Joshua made an oath, a covenant with them. It says, we covenant together with you that we will save you. We will not destroy you, even though we will destroy all the surrounding nations. But the covenant was farther than that. The covenant was not only will we save you, but we will bring you in. You will now be a part of our people. So as we are pursuing life as it was meant to be, you're coming with us. Your protection is, is our protection and ours is yours. And they have become included into the people of God. All of this has happened in chapter nine. In chapter 10 is the first test of whether God's people will walk in integrity and keep their word. Because look what it says in Joshua 10. If you're there, say amen. As soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, here's this common theme again, we talked about it last week, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly. It's a common theme of hearing and fearing. We hear what God has done, we fear. Now, the response to that hearing and fearing is what matters. Gibeon heard and feared. Rahab heard and feared. Their response was to humble themselves and ask to be saved. These nations did the opposite. He feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So here's their response, verse three. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoam, king of Hebron, 
and Piram, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lachish, and you have no idea whether I'm pronouncing these right, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. Then the five kings of the Amorites and Jerusalem and the king of Hebron and the king of Jarmuth and the king of Lachish and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. A couple of things you need to notice. First of all, they know that they've made an alliance with the people of Israel. They also know that the people of Israel are in Gilgal, which is a three days journey away. And so what they do is they form an alliance. Five of these nations all coming together to come and to come against Gibeon and to take them while the people of God are three days away in Gilgal. And at the end of verse five, here they are gathered ready to attack the people of the Gibeonites, the exact people that God had just promised he would protect. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but in a little bit of an unusual way, in two verses, all five kings and nations are mentioned by name twice. Completely unnecessary. But whenever something like that happens, there is a reason, and the reason is this, is that we are supposed to get in our minds a picture of the overwhelming circumstance of this moment. That as great as Gibeon is, and as many mighty men as they have, there is no possible way they can withstand the onslaught of five nations and all of their armies encamped around them about to attack them. It's five against one, and they cannot win. And even if Israel gets there in time, it's five against two, they're also not going to win. So verses one through five are to create in us a sense of a moment that is humanly impossible to overcome. So what do the Gibeonites do? Look at verse six. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come quickly and save us and help us for all the king of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against this. They've made this alliance. The people of God had promised to protect them. And so what do the Gibeonites do? The first thing they do is say, come and help us. We have no chance without you. They beg of them to come, to save, to help. Do not relax your hand from your servant. In other words, this is not a time to fail to do something. Do something, act, come, save us, put your protection upon it. And verse seven tells us their response. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. Now we don't know how many, it tells us a few chapters ago, that 30, chapter eight, 30,000 men went to Ai ready to fight. So we're talking at least 30,000 men immediately went. And after they went, verse eight, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. I could stop and preach another message here, but I won't. Let me just remind you of the consistent theme that God often gives them these promises after they have already taken the step of faith. That they walk in obedience, they start moving, and as they start moving, the Lord says, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. I'm with you, and we're gonna win this battle. Now, in the next few verses, starting in verse nine, there are a series of four miraculous events that take place. Four miraculous events, one in verse nine, one in 10, one in 11, and one in 12. The first one is in verse nine. It says, so Joshua came up on them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. So how is that supernatural? We know from chapter one, verse 17, from Gilgal to Gibeon is a three days journey. We know that. It's three days to get from Gilgal to Gibeon. Somehow they got there 
going over 20 miles in the middle of the night, increasing over 3,000 feet in elevation in the night with this massive army, took a three days journey in about five to six hours. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened or what happened, but it does remind me of what happens in 1 Kings 18 in which the spirit of God comes up on Elijah. Ahab gets in his chariot. Elijah pulls up his robe and outruns Ahab's chariot. That happens. And somehow, in a supernatural way, the people of God decide to go to Gibeon to help them, and God allows them to make a three-day journey in one night, 30,000 at least of them, 20 miles 3,000 feet elevation higher. That's a miracle. The next one is in verse 10. And the Lord threw them into a panic. And some versions read better than others here, but everything that happens here is pointing us back to the work of the Lord. The Lord threw them into a panic. The Lord struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the scent of Beth Haran and struck them. So this is the action of the Lord. So they show up after marching all night and the Lord throws all of the army into confusion. He immediately begins to strike them. The Lord begins to chase them. So they feel like they're being chased even when there's no one chasing them. That's because Proverbs 28, one says, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing. That's what's happening. God has confused them and made them run. You know that feeling when you come up from the basement at night and it's dark and you really feel like someone's coming after you? Is that just me? You know that feeling? And you go, I don't, you can be a grown man, but you go as fast as you can go because you're, maybe that part's only me. I mean, when you were a kid, you did this. But you know that feeling. This is the feeling that's happening here. They're, they know someone's after them. They just don't know who it is. They're, they're running, they're scrambling. Everything is chaotic Another miracle. The third miracle is in verse 11. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them, as far as Ezekah, and they died. And there were more who died because of the hellstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So, so I need you to picture this with me. Hundreds of thousands of people fighting. There's no question about this. When you have seven armies who have all gathered together here to fight, hundreds of thousands of people. And Israel and the Gibeonites are fighting with their swords. We know that because there were those killed with the sword. So this is an active battleground, hand-to-hand combat, all kinds of people. And then all of a sudden, out of the sky starts to come hailstones. But the hailstones are only killing the five other armies and not the people of God, including the Gibeonites. So how do, I, how do I make you understand what this is like? All right, here we go. It's Georgia-Auburn at Sanford Stadium. <laughs> There's 92,000 people. And all of a sudden, right after halftime, the sky gets dark and out of nowhere comes a massive storm and it's clear that something's about to happen and massive hailstones start to be thrown down from the sky. Everyone's frantic and scared, and you can imagine everyone running from cover, large hailstones. God forbid this ever happened. I just had to illustrate this some while contextually. So hailstones are coming, thousands of people injured, and at the end of the evening, when the storm is stopped and they evaluate everything that's happened, they realize the strangest thing. Only Auburn fans got hit. (laughs) Crazy. Now, God forbid, I mean, this is not, 
God forbid this ever happened. It's just illustration. I mean, you can't explain it. 92,000 fans, everyone running for cover. On one row, there's 10 people, and it's Georgia, Georgia, Auburn, Auburn, Georgia, Georgia, Auburn, Auburn, Georgia, Georgia. I mean, it's just they're all mixed in together. There's no possible way you could have 12, 15,000 people injured, and it's only those wearing orange. This is absolutely impossible. And you come to the end of this moment, and there's only two conclusions you can come up with. One this is not a coincidence. You could come to no other conclusion. This absolutely has to be intentional somehow. And two, God's on Georgia's side. <laughs> Those are the two conclusions. I need you to understand the supernatural nature of this event. This is why it said the Lord threw stones. Because this is not an arbitrary hailstone storm in the midst of all of the chaos of hand-to-hand -hand combat. God is striking down the enemies with hailstones while none of his people are ever touched. That is a supernatural work of God which reminds you that God is for you. That's what happens. Sorry, Auburn fans. Fourth miracle in verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nations took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Now, if you want a lesson in futility, I would encourage you to take about 15, 20 different commentaries on the book of Joshua, particularly focusing on more liberal ones, and read how everyone tries to explain what happened in this moment. The first thing you're gonna read is this. There's no way this can happen because the sun doesn't move. The sun can't stand still because the sun is still to which we respond, then why do you say the sun has risen and the sun has set? The sun doesn't rise, does it? The sun doesn't set, does it? But everyone says that, it's an expression, because from our point of view, we're still and the sun is setting and the sun is rising. It doesn't appear in our view that we are the ones orbiting the earth, this, the sun. And so this is what it appeared to them. For an entire day, the sun stopped. It was absolutely still. And you can look at this any way you can, but there's only one explanation for what happened here. The explanation is this, is the God that created the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the universe and holds them together by the power of his word is the same one who for an entire day simply stopped the rotation of the earth around the sun and made the entire solar system be still. Not only did he do it, he stopped all the consequences of what would happen if that actually happened. Because if you took the earth and you just stopped it, you just stopped it from rotating and spinning, it would be like traveling at 100 miles an hour in your car and you slam on the brakes and you may stop, but what happens to all the stuff in your car? It keeps going. So you can stop the earth, but just know this, because of the way the earth is rotating and spinning, everything else is gonna to continue to move, but none of that happened. Everything stayed in order because God just simply said, I'm going to stop all of this at one moment. And for an entire day, so the people of God could finish their battle, God stopped the solar system from moving. And the sun stood still. And the explanation for it is in verse 14. 
There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man. Here it is, for the Lord fought for Israel. That's it. God was able and God was for them. And while they were working, while they were being obedient, while they were fighting, God was fighting with them and for them doing things that they could never do. Now, I love what happens in the following verses. It tells us in verse 16, I'm just gonna tell you this real quickly, that toward the end of the battle, they discover that the five kings, knowing they're going down, have escaped and hidden in a cave. But some soldiers find them. So they go and they find them and they come back and tell Joshua, Joshua, we found the five kings hidden in a cave to which Joshua says this, roll a stone over the cave. Let's go finish the battle. Don't stop, continue fighting and then we'll go back and deal with them. So this is what happens. They think they're safe, they're in a cave. They take a big stone. Now they're trapped in the cave. They go finish the battle and then we come to verse 22. Then Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. They did so. And they brought the five kings out to him from the cave. Verse 24, and when they brought the kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of war of men who had gone with him and stop right there. I just need, I need to paint this picture for you. They roll back the stone, they get the five kings, they bring them out. Joshua knows this moment is bigger than itself. All of these kings and all of these nations had been given many opportunities to humble themselves and submit. The Gibeonites did it and now they're saved. These kings continued to rebel against the Lord and those who continue to rebel against the Lord even today will ultimately experience his wrath. They bring them out and Joshua then gathers people around him. It says he summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs and the men of war who had gone, all of them, he gathered all of these people. So there's, there's a crowd around. They bring the kings out and here's what it says. Come near and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And when they came near, they put their feet on their necks. So imagine the scene, all these people surrounding them. The kings are there and he says, now I want you to put your feet on their necks. And everyone's watching as the feet of the soldiers of the people of God are on the necks of these defeated kings. And with that picture in mind, the Lord, I mean, the Lord speaks through Joshua and says this. And Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. They go, they kill the kings. The rest of chapter 10 moves faster than anything in Joshua moves, where one after another, after another, after another, after another, battle is fought, battle is won, battle is fought, battle is won, another nation, another king, another nation, another king, and the point is simply this, is that Joshua knew this moment was bigger than itself, and so Joshua, following the direction of the Lord, brings these kings in and says, listen, do you, do you realize what's happened today? Do you realize that the sun stood still today? Do you realize the journey that we made in the middle of the night? Do you realize the hailstorms? Do you realize the chaos the Lord brought? Do you realize that these kings have been given into our hands? Do you know that God is able? Do you know that God is for you? Because this moment exists for you to have the confidence to continue to fight greater and greater battles, and it's exactly what they did. It's literally like this defining moment 
in which God showed them his power and his ability, launched them in to taking the rest of the southern territory all the way to the end of chapter 10. And it's summarized at the end of the chapter in verse 40. It says, so Joshua struck the whole land and the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all the kings and their land at one time. How? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him at the camp of Gilgal. There is one reason that they defeated the five nations. There is one reason they went and defeated the next seven nations. It's because the Lord was fighting for them. And it's because they had enough confidence to believe that God is able and God is for them. And in that confidence, they went out and did courageous things, not because of their strength, because of their confidence in the Lord's. Now listen carefully because you need this and I need this. Listen carefully. This truth that the Lord fights for you can be just as much applied to you today as it was to them in Joshua chapter 10. Today, if you're a part of the people of God, meaning that you have chosen to align yourself with God and his people, you have chosen to trust and follow Jesus, you have chosen to trust Jesus to take the wrath that you deserve from you and die for it himself, and you trust his death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for your sins, and you choose to trust and follow him, and you've become a part of the people of God, know this for certain, the Lord right now fights for you. He fights for you. The Lord, the one who chased the armies and threw the stones and stopped the entire rotation of the solar system, he is fighting for you. He is on your side. He is working on your behalf every battle in every moment, every single day, actively fighting for you. I don't know of any place in the New Testament in which this is stated to us any more clearly and listen as I read this from Romans 8. Just listen carefully. And we know that all those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified, meaning God doesn't lose one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
In other words, he is able and he is for you. He has made an eternal, unbreakable covenant. When you align yourself with him to always be for you, to display his strength and power on your behalf. And God wants to take those two truths, that he is able and he is for you, and put them so deep inside of your heart that you start attempting more than you've ever attempted before, that you start praying more than you've ever prayed before, that you start trusting him more than you've ever trusted him before. You know what God wants to do with those two truths? He wants to bring you to a Joshua 10, 24, and 25 moment. You remember the moment when the kings are there and the soldiers' feet are on their necks and they're about to be destroyed? God wants to bring you to that moment. You say, well, where do you get that? How in the world would God bring us to that moment? Well, he brings us to that moment and will bring us to that moment in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, in which it says this, God will soon crush Satan under your foot. <laughs> under your foot. God will soon crush Satan under your foot. There is one mention of Satan in all of the book of Romans, and it's this one to remind you of what Martin Luther said, his rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. And at the moment in which Jesus died, Satan was defeated through his death and resurrection. Death no longer had a hold on us. He's defeated every time we say no to sin and yes to him. And he will ultimately be defeated when he is thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity and we will have our foot on his neck. He will lose. And we walk in that type of confidence because we believe that God is able and he is for us. And part of this Joshua 10, 24, 25 moment is for you getting this picture in your head of God's authority over everything in your life, his sovereign rule over your life. And then he wants to say to you, as he gathers us around, seeing our enemy defeated, and he wants to say the same things to you. He wants to say, stop being afraid. Be strong and be courageous. Can I just say a few things about that this morning? With all of that in mind, the Lord looks at you and he says this, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. The greatest enemy of your spiritual life is fear because faith is always calling you to believe these two simple truths. Believe this, God is able and he's for you. He's for you, he's for you. He's not against you, he's for you. And fear always undermines one of those two things. Fear either makes you say God is not able or God is not for me. He can't or he won't because he doesn't care. But God has not given you a spirit of fear, which means that fear is not from God, and it's not from God, it's only from one other place. The fear of failure, the fear of consequences of walking in obedience, the fear of loss, the fear of death, the fear of pain, all of those fears are demonic. They're not from God. And you don't have to live with them any longer. Psalm 118, 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So can I just encourage you to believe enough that God is good and able and that he is for you and loves you and is watching over every detail of your life so you would stop worrying and stop fretting and stop expecting the worst and stop the cycle of anxiety which is doing nothing but paralyzing you and keeping you from advancing in your life. 
it's no good, and it's not of God. He says, stop being afraid. He says, be strong, because God is fighting for you. Let me clarify that phrase. When it says God is fighting for you, it doesn't mean God is fighting and we're not doing anything. It means this, is it means that as we are fighting, the strength that we need in order to fight is the strength coming from the Lord. This is why Ephesians 6 says, put on the armor of God, meaning you gotta put it on. You gotta get the sword, you gotta get the helmet, you gotta get the shoes because you're going to battle. But know this, the only way you're gonna win as you fight is if you're strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Meaning, that you are called to walk and advance and do hard things in the strength that God has already provided for you. Let me ask you this. What would you attempt for God in your life if you knew that Christ was on your side and you had his strength? You do. You do. You do have his strength. So go walk in it, love in his strength, hope in his strength, rejoice and stand and strive in his strength. Walk and be active in the strength that God provides. Stop being afraid, start being strong. And last he says this, start being courageous. Man, I love verse nine. I I spent a lot of time just reading over Joshua 10 verse nine this week. And all it says is this. So Joshua came up on them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. That verse captured me and called me into something new. And here's the reason. Because what that verse says to us is that Joshua called the people, the people got ready for battle, and in one night they took a 20-mile march, 3,300 feet elevation. And I just looked this up. You can look up online these little equations for what is considered a hard hike or a simple hike. If you put in 20 plus miles at 3,300 feet elevation, it is known as an extreme hike, which for the most gifted hiker could maybe be done in 15 hours. What the picture I have here is this. They heard what needed to be done and in integrity and honor, they ran into the battle. They ran into the battle. They did not stop. They did not get a break. They walked in courage. And the men of our church have probably heard me say this before because I like to say it often. There is nothing that kills Christianity more than passivity. That's a great word for Father's Day. Passivity kills Christianity. It also kills family. It kills marriage. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. They do not run from, they run to. And God is calling you this morning with those two truths deep inside of your heart to attempt some greater things, to do some harder things, to fight sin, to fight temptation, to fight habits, to stay in the marriage, to do the right and hard things, to share the gospel, to confess sin, to submit to the Lord's call, to go to the mission field, to forgive when you don't feel like doing it, do the hard things. This is the call of Joshua 10. If he is able and if he is for you, ask for more and go get more. I think that is one of the the calls of Joshua 10. Joshua 9, they failed to seek the Lord. They made a bad alliance. In Joshua chapter 10, Joshua stood in his authority before the Lord, knowing who he was and that God was on his side, asked the sun to stand still, and it did. It reminds us of what John Piper says, that prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie for spiritual warfare. It is not a domestic intercom to increase the comforts to the saints. 
Prayer is not an intercom system to get more comforts. It is a wartime walkie-talkie, and we use it that way. Lord, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I need. Let me just say this as we close. This is a significant moment for us and for you. Because I believe that God is gonna reveal to us his ability and he's gonna reveal to us that he is with us and he is for us. He's already doing that in a thousand different ways. And the reason he wants to do that, listen, is because he's calling you into greater obedience. He's calling you to take back what the enemy has stolen from you. Some of you, it has been so long since you walked in joy and peace and life and freedom. The enemy has taken it and God wants you to take it back. You take it back because you believe he is for you. You believe he is able. He wants that faith in him to lead you into fearless, strong, courageous action for him. Why? Because you can't lose. Praise be to God, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, who always leads us in to triumph. So this morning, God is calling you to choose to believe that he is able and choose to believe that he is for you to choose to take back what the enemy has stolen, to choose to do the hard things, to do the right decisions, to humble yourself before the Lord, knowing that God rewards faith. He wants you to step out in confidence and he wants to meet you there, but you must start walking first. God is calling you into new life, new freedom, new courage, new activity, more than you've ever had before, but you must simply believe that he's able and he's for you. I pray somehow by God's grace that would be such a deeply rooted thing in our hearts that there is nothing we would fail to attempt for Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment we're gonna have a time of response. And this message was so heavy on my heart this morning. I know I've preached a little bit longer than normal, but... I think we needed to hear these things and I know we have plans this afternoon, I know all of that. But let me, let me, just, let me just ask you to sit tight for a moment because this, this moment matters. Because unquestionably, God is stirring in some of your hearts. Some of you have been walking in so much anxiety and so much fear and so much defeat. Some of you have been disappointed by life. Life has not gone the way that you thought and in that moment, you stopped believing that God was good. You stopped believing that he cared. Can I just reassure you that God sovereignly oversees everything in our lives and even though we all encounter incredibly brutal, hard things, God is still good. And you cannot allow the events of the past to paralyze you from the days that God has given you in the future. The enemy wants to win and you just simply can't let him. Take back the peace, take back the life, take back the joy that is yours. And that's gonna mean something for you. That's gonna mean coming to Christ for the very first time. It's gonna mean coming and asking one of us to pray with you and over you. There's something powerful about that. It's gonna, it's gonna mean slipping out and getting on your knees before God because this moment matters right now. Getting on your knees before God and saying, God, here I am. I don't know what this looks like or means, but I'm, I'm humbling myself before you and before others. I, I, I wanna start new today. Listen to me, if God is stirring in your heart, the last thing you need to do is simply leave here and ignore it. Let one of us talk to you. Come and pray. Let's just take a few minutes to declare that our God is a champion. He is fighting on our side. He is with us. Let's declare it and let's respond to it for God's sake and for the sake of every day of the rest of your life. So Father, would you stir it up in us? Would you give people the grace, the courage? This could be the first courageous step to step out 
to come, to talk to someone, to pray, to kneel here. Let's take that first step of courage, stir it up in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet as we sing this song declaring the glory of Christ and his rule and reign over us. Pastors are gonna be here, prayer partners are gonna be here. We'd love to meet with you and encourage you in any way. If you wanna come and respond, I'm gonna invite you to come. Let's come now. joy, the peace back. You have to receive that from him this morning. Oh, victory. Oh, victory. You have won. Victorious. Declare this by faith. What was stolen? Let's declare this truth this morning. Our champion you fight for us you made a way when there was none our champion you're strong in us the dead we owe you paid in blood the one in whom we belong we lift our voice Forever yours. Now forever yours. Our champion, you fight for us. Declare this by faith. You, you made, made a way, way when there was none. There was none. Our champion, you're strong in us. The dead we owe, you paid in blood. make this our declaration that we're going to declare the victory everywhere we go because it's true in us. We have received that victory. We're going to declare to the mountaintops that Jesus Christ is victorious and people are going to see it through the victory in our lives. So let's declare this church together this morning. And we will shout. Start right now declaring this from the mountains that our God is good. He has overcome, let all the earth, every tribe and tongue, we will sing it out. He has overcome, we will shout it out from the Our God is good, declare it, church. Our God is good, He has overcome, let all the earth, every tribe. champion he fights for us you made a way when there was none our champion 
you're spirit of the dead we owe you paid in blood our champion you fight for us you made a way when there was none our champion you're strong enough the Joyce this morning. Amen. You may sense this from me, but one of the great passions uh, of my heart is to help you take back what the enemy has stolen. Life and joy and peace belong to you because Jesus died to give them to you. They're yours for the taking. And that's what the enemy wants to come to undermine. He wants to take away these things from you. Don't let him do it. Get him back. Walk in courage. Amen. Well, I guess that's it for today. God bless you. We'll see you. Oh, there's Bill Harville. Let's see right here what we've got. I've got as my witness. I have no idea what's in here. I promise you I haven't seen anything. He didn't even give me eyes like any. I got nothing. You also did tell me to say that based upon gifts that have come in online and with the offering, we, there's more, there could be more coming. We don't know this. Don't. This is a final count. You ready for this? $12,000. No, I'm just kidding. $1,625,825.28. Amen. I want to read this one more time for us. We started with it. I want us to read it again as we leave today. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you and praise your glorious name. Listen, what this is intended to do is to remind us as a church, God can do this. This is just, listen to me, this is just the beginning. God is reminding us through our budget giving, through this, that God is able to do more than we imagine. So let's start asking and let's start attempting great things for him. Amen. This is just the start. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's sing this chorus as we leave today. and Let's make this chorus the declaration of our moment before we leave. Let's sing this together. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God All my life we sing And all my life you have been faithful Sing this from your heart to you and to our church He's so faithful and all my life you have been so, so good. So with every breath, with every breath that I am able, I will see of the goodness of God. 
Your goodness is running Sing it, church. Declare it. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Make this your prayers to with my life. Lay down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. Sing it, church. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. And I will sing of the goodness of God. Amen. I got to be honest, I, I, I believed the Lord was going to do it, but I'm really going to sleep good tonight. Huh? <laughs> amen. Hey, what a great moment. Amen. We asked for a million. God gave us $1.6 million. I'm just telling you, this is just the beginning. We got good days ahead. Amen. I love you. I love being your pastor. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.